Good morning and welcome to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Bill, how are you doing today? I'm fine, Jason. I hope you're doing great. I'm doing wonderful, Bill. Excited mm. for the show today. And we've got an interesting sort of little mini series that we're going to be introducing here. And we're going to be talking about estate planning documents and why these are so important. We've gone over that in the past. But um, in, over the next couple of weeks, we're we're going to be focusing on one particular document as we go along. Exactly. Here. I thought it would be helpful uh, to um, f- f- to talk about, at least in a little more depth, um, those documents that you should get uh, when you do some estate planning. Uh, so I thought I'd talk about basic estate planning. I mean, folks know that that's what I do. I do estate planning with a focus on helping seniors. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, when folks finally get around to um, thinking, you know, we really should have some planning done, we should do this for our family, uh, we should do this for ourselves, then um, it's like, okay, if you go to a good planner, what should you end up with? <laughs> That's an important thing. And so uh, when you're looking at basic documents, now this, this, what I'm really getting at is uh, so many folks uh, will come to us and say, we, we, we need a simple will, uh, but that's really not estate planning. That's just a piece of, uh, uh, it might be an important part, but it's just one part of estate planning because estate planning is not just a will. It's life planning, and there are a number of documents that are really important for every person to have. And the documents can be different at different times in our lives. So what documents should you be looking for if you're interested uh, and want to uh, have some basic planning done for yourself and your family? Well, Obviously, a last will and testament is one of those basic documents. Um, now, folks, uh, hear me talk about <clears throat> the need for a really good advanced general durable power of attorney. That's a financial power of attorney uh, for folks. So that's the second document. You have a health care power of attorney. That's an important document as well. So you appoint your agent for health care decisions if you can't communicate with your physician. Then um, a document that I think is really important um, for folks of any age is an advanced directive for natural death, sometimes called a living will. It's a very limited document, but it's an important document for folks to have, I believe. Then uh, federal law requires you to have a medical release that's HIPAA compliant. You know, folks have heard of that HIPAA law. And, uh, you know, it's the one that the doctors hate because it's uh, a lot of paperwork for any medical practice or hospital or clinic. Um, But the fact is, is that folks uh, need to have, in order to comply with the law, they need to have that separate legal document 
that in truth is simply a medical release, but it has to have all the magic language uh, that r- relates to the the federal HIPAA Act. Uh, and and then uh, the last of the basic documents uh, is um, w- what we call a digital release, which is becoming more important uh, for families as well. So those are the six basic documents. Now, uh, if you get into more complexity, then you can add along trust. You'll have those six documents no matter what other planning you might uh, add to the mix. And, of course, people hear me talk about revocable trust plans and irrevocable trust plans. And, of course, you can have multiple different types of trusts, but uh, for lots of different things. So we're not going to talk about trust, but what I want to do is not go over the, I mean, is to, I don't want to avoid the basic stuff that people really should know about. So this week, I want to focus on the first of those six basic documents, which is your last will and testament. And it's like, okay, why do you need one? What's important about it? Um, uh, why, you know, those, those kind of issues, what it's all about. Okay. Well, let's let's go ahead and start from the beginning because you know we hear so much about wills and people say, well, well you know, you, you need to get a will and that's very important. Well, why is that, Bill? Well, the the first thing uh, about it is if you don't have any documents and you don't have a last will and testament, then you're not controlling where your property goes at your death. You might think you know where it's going. But actually, the state in which you reside, and so for most of us, it'll be North Carolina, uh, the state of North Carolina has a plan of how to distribute your property, and it's not necessarily what you think it might be. So, uh, for instance, um, if even if you've been married for 50 years, uh, if you have children, your spouse, by law, is not going to receive your prop- all of your property. Uh, he or she will get a portion of it, but not all of it. And how much will depend, uh, frankly, on uh, how many children you have is a, one big factor. And another might be how long you've been married. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, there there are factors in there where uh, the law will determine where your uh, property goes. And then, of course, you can have other arrangements which will trump your will, whether you have one or not. So it's really – that's what we call title to property because a lot of married folks uh, have everything on jointly, and oftentimes uh, by the nature of the property, it goes to uh, that person no matter what your will says. So you have to factor in both things, but your will allows you to make sure. In some ways, uh, for a lot of folks, it's a cleanup document. It, it ensures that your property goes where you want it to go, uh, who you want it to go to, and how you want it to go to those folks. And the simplest of documents, uh, what we call a sweetheart will, is uh, basically one that simply says, I leave everything to my spouse and then equally to my children. 
And for those lucky folks that have only had one spouse and only have children by that spouse, um, and that's becoming less common these days, unfortunately, um, uh, it's some, maybe a simple will does everything you need it to do. Um, and, and if it does, great. Uh, uh, but for those folks who are trying to do more, in other words, not just to leave property to their spouse and then to their children, but those who are concerned about how do we protect our spouse with our assets. In other words, how do I get asset protection thrown in there? And of course, everybody knows that's what I do. Uh, Or uh, how do I protect my children's inheritance sometimes is a really important uh, what, in other words, what we want our children to inherit, I should say, <laughs> while we're also protecting our spouse. And of course, those things can make your will a little more complicated than what than just a simple will. Um, but uh, a last will and testament is a key document. So, and I know we have to take a break. So, when I come back, uh, I want to talk about how do you how do you make a will? What's important? And is a will from another state good in North Carolina or a North Carolina will good in another state if we should move? Those are great points and we're going to answer them right after this. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. You can find more about Bill online at WGALaw.com. I'm Jason Kong, Bill Alexander alongside me. This morning we're talking all about wills. We're going in depth, Bill, on uh, what they are and how they function. So let's continue our discussion. Okay. Well, uh, now, as I have said before on the show, uh, you can, in fact, write your own will. I don't recommend it. It almost always uh, ends up being a problem. <laughs> but, you know, it, uh, sometimes it's the lawyers who who make out uh, when you try to create your own will because uh, uh, folks uh, fight over it. Uh, but you can, but if you're going to do that, uh, you have to recognize that it uh, you need, and it doesn't matter what you write it on, it can be on a napkin for that matter, uh, but it needs to be in your own handwriting. It needs, it needs to say it's your will. In other words, my will or my last will and testament or something along those lines. It needs to be dated and it needs to be signed and it needs to be in your own handwriting. Um, and obviously, it, it, if it's going to be your will, it should say, I want my property to go to this person or that a person, or it might be, I want this specific property to go to this specific person and the rest to go to somebody else, maybe. Uh, it also, if you're thinking about it, it should also name a person to administer your estate which is uh, called an executor in North Carolina. You can also call it a personal representative, but it's the person to administer your state. And if you name that person, that helps. 
Uh, and if you, it's also nice to say uh, no uh, bond is necessary so that they don't have to go out and get an insurance policy to administer your estate. I mean, that for most families, that would be an unnecessary expense. Um, but like I said, you know, folks typically don't do a very good job of writing their own wills. Uh, it might save them a nickel in the uh, beginning and cost the family a lot of dollars uh, <laughs> when you die. Uh, but uh, you can do it. Uh, now, um, for uh, a well-drafted will, you know, you need to go to an attorney who uh, is an estate planning attorney, uh, or at least an attorney who is steeped in doing uh, these uh, documents. Um, uh, so t uh, typically you would want to, to, I mean, from my perspective, it's far better to go to someone who is specialized uh, or at least steeped or concentrated in, in doing uh, documents. But a, a will needs to say that it is your last will and testament. Uh, it, it doesn't have to have a whole lot of legalese to it, uh, but uh, obviously you need to be able to uh, set down uh, what you want to happen with your property. And then you should have uh, at least two witnesses, and it is extremely helpful if you also have everything signed at the same time, in other words, you sign in front of two witnesses and a notary, and the notary notarizes not only your signature, but the witness's signature. In other words, you can't sign a will and then go to one person and have them sign as a witness and then go next door and have somebody else sign. That doesn't work. Everybody has to be together uh, to witness you're signing your will at the very same time and the notary be present at the very same time. Now, if you don't have a notary, you you might want to have three witnesses, but then you have just uh, you're, you don't have what's called a self-proving will. It's the notary that makes it self-proving. And what that means is that when you take that piece of paper to the clerk of superior court at your death, they can go ahead and probate the will because it's already been proved to them that it is your last will and testament. If you don't have that notary, then two of those witnesses minimum have to go before the clerk's office and say, yes, I was there, yes, I saw he, him signed this document in our presence. There, were, you know, we had you know two or three witnesses present at the same time, and I saw all that. Uh, and yes, that's my signature, and yes, that's the decedent's signature on the will. So all of that is critically important to have a, a piece of paper that the clerk of superior court will say yes, that's a last will and testament. Now. There's some other issues with the will that are very important for folks to understand, too, and that is that the, the state of North Carolina has some magic language that is required uh, in a will, uh, and, and it, I'll bring up a, a couple of things. But number one, it's um, – uh, needs to say in the will that you're over uh, 18 years of age. 
<laughs> it needs to say that uh, that you are uh, of sound mind and not being unduly influenced by anyone. Uh, and that's part. I mean, it sounds when you when you read it, it sounds like just legalese, uh, but that is actually a requirement uh, in North Carolina. And that can actually cause problems when you have a will that's executed in another state and brought to North Carolina, and it doesn't have that magic language in there. Um, uh, Another issue in North Carolina about a will is that um, it's best if the will says that you are not exercising uh, any power of appointment. And the reason – now, most people have no clue what a power of appointment is to begin with, and I can appreciate that. But um, uh, North Carolina has a funky law that basically says if you don't exclude it, then it automatically, by operation of law, is you're exercising the powers of appointment – um, otherwise, and so that can actually lead to some bad consequences if you don't exclude it, uh, depending on what other documents are out there. Uh, for instance, if you if, if your spouse left you um, a trust with a, a with a power of appointment, which many of them do, or your parents left you, or your grandparents left you a trust with powers of appointment then that um, provision about operation of law uh, can be extremely important. But I'll, I'll give you an example of um, uh, uh, having a will from another state that didn't work. I had uh, a lady who died in the state of Maryland with a Maryland uh, will. In other words, it was perfectly valid in Maryland, executed properly there, had a lawyer draw it up and all that good stuff. And, but she owned property in North Carolina on the Outer Banks. And in fact, it was very valuable property worth over a million dollars on the Outer Banks. Well, so they brought the uh, – now, when you have real estate in a state other than the state in which you reside, you have what's called an ancillary probate. In other words, you take the will from your state and send it – to the county in which the real estate exists (laughs) in North Carolina, and the clerk there determines whether it's a valid will in North Carolina. Well, guess what? This Maryland will did not have the magic North Carolina language, so the clerk of Superior Court uh, in that county said, nope, we cannot probate this as a will in North Carolina, which basically meant that the land on the Outer Banks went by intestate succession. That is the the state's uh, plan for your property if you don't have a will. Because if you have a piece of paper that cannot be probated as a will, then you don't have a will. (laughs) All right. Well, um, there's good news and bad news in this particular case. Uh, The people who were to receive the property by intestate succession by North Carolina law were not the same people that the lady intended to receive her property. And when you have a very valuable piece of property, that can be pretty telling. Well, the good news about this case was 
unlike most families, the folks who um, were to receive the property by intestate succession basically gave up their claim to the folks uh, who were in the will. So the, the right people ended up with the property. So it was a happy ending, but th- that's a pretty rare situation. It would have been very ugly uh, had the, the folks who um, were to legally receive the property said, yes, I'm glad to have this property on the Outer Banks. <laughs> so uh, what the bottom line is is that when you move from one state to another, you should always have your documents reviewed. Uh, sometimes they will work, uh, and sometimes they won't. And so it's it's uh, it's always best to have documents from the state in which you are permanently residing. Uh, that can be extremely helpful. Well, if your will was done in another state and you want to make sure that it has that magic language that Bill was talking about for North Carolina, why don't you schedule an appointment with Bill? Call 919-256-7000, or you can go online to WGALaw.com, WGALaw.com. That's Bill's website. You can find plenty of information there, and we're going to continue our discussion right after this. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. You can find more about him at WGALaw.com. In fact, he's got a brand new website up at WGALaw.com. Check it out if you haven't seen it recently. A great way to stay connected with Bill. You can schedule an appointment to speak with him. You can listen to his podcast, the Asset Protection Today podcast. You can view blogs. There's plenty of stuff on there, Bill. A new website looks great. Well, I appreciate that, Jason. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, it is a really helpful website. So I would encourage folks to uh, see what's on there. Uh, they might very well get a lot of good information there, and it's uh, it's free. <laughs> it is free. You can find, again, the podcasts and stuff that Bill does, uh, including wills, which we're discussing today, Bill, and we're going in-depth on, uh, on that topic. Right. And of course, uh, the example that I just used where you had a lady that owned property and resided in the state of Maryland, but owned real estate in North Carolina, she would have done far better uh, financially for her family if she had had a, a revocable trust. Because one of the nice things about a revocable trust is that you can avoid probate for the property that is in the trust or uh, owned by the trustee. Um uh, now, with with, uh, but I want to go back to wills. I don't want to shift over to trusts and the advantages that that folks have with trust. But it's just an example of where um, a trust could be used effectively um, and would be very helpful. But um, the, the the other things I want folks to know about wills is the fact that um, wills don't have to be simple. A will can actually have a trust in it. And in fact, uh, if uh, you're a family that is concerned about 
um, a state recovery if you go on Medicaid, which many, many seniors are extraordinarily worried about that, then one way to protect the property for your spouse is with a willed-based trust. And uh, there, there is a trust that we can create called a supplemental needs trust. It's based on federal law. And it gives uh, the surviving spouse, if you use it properly, uh, absolute asset protection. And the nice thing about it is, is that there's no five-year look back for that kind of trust. Of course, the bad news is you have to die to make it work because uh, that's the way it is with the will. You have to die for your will to work. <laughs> and so... Um, but if, if uh, upon your death, if you're trying to protect your spouse and your money, uh, then a supplemental needs trust in your will is the way to do it. And then uh, if your spouse is already on Medicaid, it, this trust will not affect uh, that eligibility about uh, being on Medicaid. And if you're not, if she's he or she is not on Medicaid, but maybe going on Medicaid soon after your death um, or later, it doesn't matter when, the property in the trust is not a countable asset against your uh, spouse. And oftentimes, if again, if it's done right, uh, there are oftentimes is immediate or almost immediate eligibility for Medicaid uh, after your death. So, um, uh, and the, the Truthfully, um, oftentimes seniors do better um, with um, a, more than a simple will, if you will, <laughs> than, uh, than not. And so a lot of folks are asking, for how do I have asset protection? And by having a good will with a trust in it, uh, you can actually do that. Now, the other side of the coin is, what if I create a living trust, a revocable trust that creates an irrevocable trust for my spouse at my death in the trust document? In other words, it's not in your will. It's in your trust document. Well, unfortunately, when you do that for your spouse, for Medicaid purposes, that, that trust-based irrevocable trust is going to be a countable asset. And uh, it's unfortunate. So the what we do on that is we take uh, that trust, pour it over to a will-based uh, supplemental needs trust, your testamentary trust, and then at the death of that uh, second spouse, then it can pour back to the other trust for your the sake of your children. Uh, if it's uh, or or it can just be distributed to your children upon the death of the second spouse, depending on uh, what the plans are by the family and what they're trying to do, not only for the spouse, but for the children. So that's in a nutshell. <laughs> some of the things that folks uh, should think about uh, when they're thinking about uh, having a, a will prepared for them. Uh, and I would simply say that uh, what kind of will a person should have uh, will vary depending on their age and their family makeup and whether they're married and things like that. Yeah, 
it's a, di- a different decision that everyone has to make and you know the the fit isn't always the same for everyone and that's why it's so important to get some professional help again you can go online to wgalaw.com to find more information and you can also call 919-256-7000 if you want to schedule an appointment with bill uh well bill this is a, i thought a, a great start to our little mini series here i there think we covered wills in depth and i know there's another topic that you also want to well talk. there is and that is uh, when we come back from break uh, uh, i get lots of questions from folks from grandparents that want to help their grandchildren go to college they want to start a college fund and so i want to talk about the pros and cons of doing that and how to do it uh and and what's the best ways to do that uh if you're interested in doing that Excellent. We'll do that. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday morning to you. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, just before the break, we were talking about uh, grandparents with a desire to help their children, mm-hmm. and grandchildren pay for college. And we hear so much in the news these days about student debt. Uh, it's it's a massive problem and the rise of tuition. So I'm sure this is a very popular question for you. So what can people do? It, it, it is. Um, and so, <clears throat> you know, when a, a child is born, uh, the, the oftentimes uh, the parents and grandparents are proud parents and grandparents, and it's sort of like, okay, what do we need to do now to start um, something that uh, to benefit our children? And of course, um, one of the things that I, I would say to folks, and a greater concern of mine that I like to discuss with folks um, is a bigger issue than college, and that's retirement, which uh, if you think about it when a child is born and start doing something about it, then you can create some really nice things. And I'll talk about that in a future show, but now I want to focus on, okay, our focus is not retirement. Our focus is college. How do we get the funds together in order to do it. Now, unfortunately for a lot of folks, the knee-jerk of how to do it is what's called a 529 plan. So what's the advantage of a 529 plan? Well, actually, there's some disadvantages to it, uh, and that's um, something that people should recognize. Uh, and, And so you're saying, well, what's what's the problem okay so if you create a 529 plan in the child's name um, what's the benefit well first of all there's not a tax benefit so the money that you create uh, well there's not an immediate tax benefit there used to be a North Carolina deduction on your income tax for a contribution for a five to a five twenty nine plan that went away years ago. So <laughs> you don't get the tax break by making a contribution to a five twenty nine plan. 
Uh, the only advantage, in my mind, is the fact that once it's in the 529 plan, it grows income tax-free. So you don't have to pay tax on the dividends or the capital gains inside a 529 plan, and it can be taken out totally for, for college expenses, um, totally income tax-free. Okay. However, um, two bad things happen when you do it. Number one is the money is counted against the child for student aid. And if, it, if it's the child's 529 plan, then uh, it's counted uh, heavily against the child and can reduce student aid by 50% of everything that the 529 plan pays. And that's a that's pretty bad if you think about it. Uh, and the other limitation with the 529 plan is that the investments are limited in a 529 plan. In other words, if you do a North Carolina 529 plan, the only investments that you can make are the investments that the state allows you to make. In other words, they've pre-selected certain types of investments that you can make, and that's it. Okay. Uh, so that's um, that, to me that that's a bad thing because it, it's taken away so many uh, better options in terms of investments that a person can make, and and so um, okay if if you are heart set on a five twenty nine plan, even though I'm telling you it's not a great idea, uh, <laughs> then. Uh, um, you might want to establish the 529 plan in the name of the parent rather than the name of the child. Now, it will still be counted against the child because it'll be considered an asset of the parent, but uh, it's not counted nearly as uh, uh, much against uh, the child when it's in the parent's name rather than the child's name. Um, So, what are the better ways to think about as it relates to a 529 plan? Or, or just how do I help a, a grandchild with college expenses? Well, the first thing that I would say for, I mean, because most grandparents have a hard time saying no to a grandchild. I mean, they're the love of our lives and and uh, we want to do everything we can. And for, I mean, you wouldn't believe how many folks out there will give a grandchild their last penny, <laughs> you know, thinking they need it more than I do. And what I would say is that uh, is not necessarily the case. Um, in fact, one of the nice things about not using a 529 plan and doing it differently is the fact that you can keep the money in your own name, even if you establish a separate account for it. Keeping it in your own name, um, you know, and contribute, you know, two, three, four hundred dollars a month, or however you want to do it. If but it's still your money, so if the child doesn't need it, it's not there, and it's still yours. I mean. What if your child doesn't want to go to college? Or what if the grandchild uh, joins the military or goes to a service academy or 
um, uh, finds or is on a full scholarship, academic or athletic, whatever. And so they don't need that money. You, you, you know, if you have suffered and, and sacrificed for, for 15 or 20 or 18 years to get an account together for a child, and then they don't need the money for, for good reasons, it's like, well, dang. <laughs> so from my, the, from my perspective, the first thing is that uh, a, a grandparent needs to assess their own needs. And by keeping money in their own name, um, they have full control over it because they may have greater needs 18 years later than that grandchild. Uh, and from my perspective, not being a burden on your children or grandchildren is, is actually more – that's the most important thing as we age. Not running out of money and having enough for our, our own needs is – is a critical issue for for every person, and so keeping that money in our name is can be helpful. Now, if you want to um, establish an account where your money grows income tax free, but it is already in your name, there's a better option. What do you think it might be? I don't know, Bill. Oh, come on. You do, too. A Roth IRA. Now, just like a 529 plan, you have to contribute um, after-tax money. You know, So it's the same as far as that goes. But if it's a Roth, it's in your name. If it's there for at least five years, you can take it out without a penalty, and it grows income tax-free. And uh, most grandparents uh, – uh, now, the average contribution for a lot of grandparents is actually between four and $5,000 a year, okay, if you think about that, all right? Now, that falls within the amount of money that you can create a, a Roth IRA as uh, for a single person as long as you're – Annual income is less than $122,000. You can fully uh, invest in a Roth IRA. Or for a married couple, $193,000. So most of us don't have any problem in terms of creating a Roth IRA. The money grows tax-free, and uh, you can take it out and uh, basically give it to a child. Now, there's another trick that... Uh, is important. And obviously, if you give cash um, uh, uh, for a child's needs uh, for college, it's, it's not problematic, uh, and, it, and it doesn't keep them from getting uh, scholarships and uh, college aid, uh, which is, from my perspective, far better. And uh, truthfully, uh, even if you do, uh, let's say you do a 529 plan in the parent's name, and the 529 uh, contribution is made in the child's junior year rather than their freshman year, then again, it's not going to be counted against the child to the same degree because it's only counted as the parents. But if it's in the grandparents' name, <laughs> then um, and it's contributed in the, in the junior year, then again, it's not counted at all uh, because 
what in college tuition uh, pieces and financial age, they're looking back two years. So money given in the junior year is not considered at all for um, college aid. Uh, I mean, uh, tuition assistance or loans uh, or the like. And a lot of folks don't realize that. So um, they're just different ways of doing it. Now, there's another way of doing it. Let's say you, you don't like the concept of a Roth or you don't want a Roth, and you, you just want to have a separate account that's, that's your money that you want to invest. Well, if you want tax-free, there's a way to do that as well. <laughs> Um, and it's simply to invest in growth equities or growth funds. Now, growth funds uh, typically don't have dividends. In, in other words, what it does is it grows uh, uh, capital gains. And so you don't have income tax over the period of years. Um, uh, as it relates to that. Now, Roth is better because you, you don't ever have capital gains the, the, um, uh, the, where you just invest in growth stocks. You won't have any uh, uh, tax from a number of years, but you'll end up with some tax, uh, the capital gains tax rate, at the end of the day. Um, and so there are different ways of skinning the cat, but I like for folks to keep control of their money. And by keeping control is having an account in their own name because nobody can predict what's going to be needed 18 years later. Uh, uh, Even if your intention is in that you can afford it and you can well afford it and everything is good, it's better to have it in your own name. And a Roth is really a good way to to do it. A, a Roth in your name, not in the grandchild's name. <laughs> okay. So, and of course, another, uh, well, anyway, I th- as, as now, uh, uh, frankly, I do believe when a child goes to work, and uh, it's really nice for a, a grandparent to help a child get started by helping them create a Roth, but that's when they get out of school and go to work. <laughs> yeah, there's, again, as you said, lots of different options there and different consequences of those options to weigh. So find the best fit for you. A quick break and back and more with Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander, reminding you that you can find more information about Bill at WGALaw.com. You can also call his office if you want to schedule an appointment, 919-256-7000. You can check out Bill's podcast, the Asset Protection Today podcast. You can pick up his book, Money Secrets. You can find that in the Amazon store. It's Money Secrets with Bill and Mike, a wonderful resource for you if you want to have a, a handy-dandy handheld option for you to get some of Bill's tips. And we're going to continue our series next week on estate planning documents. So we hope you will join us then. We do this every Saturday at 11. It is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill. 
Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have a wonderful weekend.